I'm Big Lou. Wait a minute. Is there no Tom goes first? Did we change the billing and I, I didn't know about it? <laughs> All right, let's try that again. I've been cut out of my own show. All right. It's time for Tupelo Tom and Big Lou talking. And now, here's Tupelo Tom and Big Lou. I'm Tupelo Tom. And I'm Big Lou. And we're talking. Oh, man. My goodness. Jeff Lewis, nice to see you there. Tom Brown, it's been forever. We even forgot our intro. It has been forever. <laughs> I, I feel bad that people are listening to us and I say I can see you, but trust me, folks, you're not missing much. <laughs> but it's really great to talk with you. And Alex Mitchell, our executive producer in charge of most of everything that we're doing here, is with us. Hello, Alex. Hello, guys. How are you doing? I'm, we're, I'm doing well. Um, if the audience could see Alex right now, he appears to be prisoner in a cinder block room uh, that's, that's painted. <laughs> but his face looks like he's about to take the stage. You and I look like we're about to be put into a box and sent six feet under. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Well, you and I have the um, <laughs> you and I have the Sybil Shepherd filter on right now <laughs> that uh, appears to soften most of the lines of our face down to where we look like we're from the Peanuts comic strip. <laughs> we have no facial lines whatsoever. Like a lot of people's uh, Facebook profiles. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> they look so soft. You're like, wow, I didn't know there was that color in nature. But that's that's interesting. It's great to have everybody back. This is kind of a combined. Uh, October, November, 2023 episode, because we've had so much going on uh, and we were, we got busy. And then I have to be frank, Jeff, uh, and I think you'll probably agree with me. We got really busy and then we had a slack period and we were tired Yes, and we just didn't want to do anything until Alex called one day and said, Hey guys, do you want to do another podcast episode <laughs> or have we retired? Right. So. Well, it's great to be back and there's so much not only in the festival world that happened, but so much happening in the Elvis world news-wise with uh, the great news about what Baz is doing, and we can talk yeah. about that. And so it's it's been an exciting, there's a lot to talk about, and we're coming up on our one-year anniversary too, which is really cool. We I'm very excited about that, and, and a special thing for this episode that has been 43 years in the making, uh, I found, and I'll tell the full story later on in this episode, but I found an archival tape from my uh, archives because Jeff, I don't know what kind of person you are. And I think I, I think you're this kind of person. I've kept stuff in my life in anticipation one day of a museum. I of think. course. Yeah. I've actually built a museum in my house. Nobody exactly, but mine's not on other people. Mine's on me. <laughs> right. I've, I have, I have my fourth grade, uh, 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 composition books. I have notebook, three ring notebooks. I have tests I've taken. I really was not very smart in math. I'll tell you that right <laughs> now. Uh, but I found a box of cassette tapes. And in that box was an interview that I did in the year 1980 with DJ Fontana. And we're going to play that interview coming up later in this episode. That's great. I cannot wait to hear that. And so we're very excited about that. But first of all, I know a lot of people out there wonder what's been up with us and and i'll go last because i haven't been up to that much but jeff you've had an interesting couple of months it was a little interesting uh i got back from elvis week we're all excited about uh cody delnath winning the ultimate and we knew we had a uh september coming up full of festivals literally almost every week and uh so i was sitting on the couch and um my dad said, I remember him saying, uh, son, would you like the remote? I said, sure, dad. I blinked 
opened my eyes and there was a bunch of EMTs and a gurney in front of me. And apparently I had just had a seizure and I thought I was dreaming. And I, I, and I was, what are you people doing here? And they said, we're going to the hospital right now. And, and I was looking at him going, uh, I don't want to go to the hospital. And they're just, all right, lay down. And uh, so they strapped me in the gurney and took me to the hospital. And I guess from all my old football days, I had an old concussion and where I had that, or a few of them probably, but I had a, um, a brain bleed, a blood clot of sorts, and it caused a, a scary moment. But I'm very happy to say I spent three days in the hospital with wonderful care and uh, have since had CT scans, and there's no sign of anything. Uh, the, they say the likelihood of that ever happening again is minimal to none. So, but it was certainly an eye opener and I've kind of been, uh, watching my diet a little more in my lifestyle and, uh, not that that caused it, but it just kind of wakes you up to a lot of things. So I can say that I'm very happy to be alive. Every day means a little more now. And the outpouring of love I got from people was so overwhelming. Uh, it was emotional and it really, um, opened my eyes to how wonderful our Elvis community is. My friends are my family etc. So thank you all. I'm very happy to say I'm doing fantastic and um, God bless all of you and thank you. And I just have to say we are very happy that uh, that everything is okay with you. Um, I can get a copy of the episode. If you need to find out how that Jeopardy episode ended as you were getting the remote, I can I can get you a copy of that. Uh, <laughs> Good. Somebody as won. As far as you know, yeah, somebody won, but you don't know who well, won. Well, here's and, what I was watching, and maybe you can tell me. Did, they, did Gilligan and the gang get off the island? Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll talk off the air. Okay. I don't I – don't, I don't think this is going to make you feel any better. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you're going to, you're going to want to get an update on. We're on skewing that. young there with the Gilligan's Island. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really. I was thinking about, did they get off the Island and lost? I think would be, a, <laughs> okay. even that's probably too old now. That's right. You know, my references have references. That's how old I am. Uh, and, and for, for me, the last few months I was, I, you know, I go in, I, I do my little radio show. Uh, my little program every morning, uh, Monday through Friday, uh, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And on Sunny 93.3 here in Tupelo. And uh, it's available. there's an app. You can listen to me every morning if you're so inclined. And uh, I have Carol in England that listens to me every day. Some people I know around that, that listen, which I appreciate. And we communicate throughout the show. And, and I find out what the weather is in Wales and Scotland. But uh, I was sitting around uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, got a uh, message from the people at the Tupelo CVB and the Convention Visitors Bureau, Jan and Stephanie there. And they work with a lot of different organizations that come through Tupelo uh, with conventions and things and, you know, three or four day conventions, five day conventions. And they always um, try to include an element of, of Tupelo, the presentation of Tupelo in in these events. And they asked me if I would come spend uh, an hour or so uh, on a Sunday uh, talking about Elvis and putting together a little presentation. So I, I worked up something and it inspired me. And I figured I'd do this, you know, during the podcast, Jeff. So he has to say yes. It inspired me to, to, to work, to come up with about a 45 to 50 minute presentation with visuals and music to tell Elvis's story with some little interesting tidbits. And I would love to uh, have Alex put that together for me because he could probably do it while I was explaining to him what I wanted to do. 
which is kind of what he did one time. Uh, I don't know if Jeff, you remember this. We were backstage in, I can see the dressing room. I remember all the festivals by the dressing rooms. Yes. We were in Arkansas. We were telling Alex about the flute player from uh, American Trilogy. And it was the anniversary of his death. And we would love to, I would love to have a video of him. And while I'm explaining it to him, he downloaded it and did it right in front and said like this. And I wasn't even finished with the explanation. (laughs) So if he can help me with that, but I did this presentation for this group and they really liked it and everything. And I thought, well, this is my Ted talk. You know, this is my 45, 50 minute talk about Elvis with music and visuals to kind of tell the story about Elvis, not only his life here in Tupelo and in Memphis and around, but what's been happening in Elvis's career since then. And I, I use the, the song Love Me Tender kind of as a, as a through uh, item there because I, I, I played Love Me Tender, which was in the movie. And then I played the Love Me Tender that they remixed after his passing. And Barbara Streisand did a duet with Elvis for Love Me Tender. And then I used Love Me Tender, the Royal Philharmonic uh, Symphony version of Love Me Tender, of what they can do to reimagine Elvis's music. And then played you know, some of the remixes and things. And people were like, wow, they, cause again, we're in this world as fans, we know what's going on, but these people that were at this and they were from all over the Southeast, all over, they, they had no idea this was going on. They found out about tribute artists and all kinds of things. And later in the weekend, uh, David Lee came over from Birmingham and he performed for them. And I feel like I kind of primed them for what an ETA was and what they represent in Elvis's career and the continuation of Elvis's story. So it's been kind of fun. So I'll team up hopefully with Alex who doesn't seem to say no. He's, he's <laughs> nodding. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I'll work on that, on that Ted talk. Uh, and maybe I can be taking Elvis's message around. So that's what's, that's, what's been up with me. It is fun to, I've got cigar bar. I'll go to occasionally on a Friday, a bunch of great guys. We hang around and, just spend the afternoon uh, having a cocktail and smoking a cigar and talking sports. And I'll get on to Elvis stories. And in my mind, I'm thinking this is boring them to death, but none of them know these stories. We all think of them, you know, we've heard these stories a million times and they're fascinated. And one of the biggest ones is not story, but the thing they're fascinated about is how is Elvis still so popular and so huge. And we start telling these stories and besides how talented he was and is and all the different incarnations of his career. Uh, the story, the stories that his life gave us, uh, you can learn him. That's why you have young fans and we have new people coming to all these festivals. They all, like you said, <laughs> we've said before, uh, like Jerry said, bring him to Elvis and he'll take care of the rest. It's just fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And it's all ages and, and the, the discovery is there. The music is there. The movies are there. Um, all they're waiting on is to be rediscovered by someone else. Because like we've said, what, what, what happened to, to, to kids in 54, <laughs> they still get grabbed the same way. Right. And you know, the, the story of Elvis continues on. And I know this has been, you know, looking back on this year and, and I hope coming up in the next episode, we can kind of look back on the year of our history in, in this year, but also in Elvis's and, you know, to start off the way this did uh, with the passing of Lisa Marie going into the Academy Awards, you know, the Golden Globe, she was there for that and saw Austin win. And then a few days later, she's she's gone. It's just an interest. It's been an interesting year. And I'm fascinated. I'm always fascinated with the stories that people tell 
that are not necessarily uh, in the Elvis world, but are Elvis fans that are celebrities. And there is a band uh, called Collective Soul. And they did a song back in, I think it was in the 90s, because when I was on the radio in St. Louis, we played it a lot. And it's called Shine. And if you heard it, you'd, you'd know it. So you, you could be like, oh, yeah, I know that song. You might not know Collective Soul. But they're a band. They're still together. And they were working earlier this year in January, and they were actually recording in a house in Palm Springs that Elvis actually owned. And he and Priscilla had bought the house, and he would spend his holidays there, and he spent some of his birthdays there. He spent his last birthday at that house in Palm Springs. And he said they had set up a recording studio in the house because they wanted the Elvis vibes. You know, They don't sound like Elvis, but they just wanted that cool Elvis vibe. And they had set up their control room in what was Lisa Marie's bedroom. And the next room over, they said, was Priscilla's, and the back room was Elvis's, and that's where they were set up to record. And they were in the house in Palm Springs the night that they found out that Lisa Marie had just passed away. Wow. And that night, in Lisa Marie's bedroom, where all the control room was, the ceiling collapsed. They said that he said they had rough weather. There were bad rains that night. But that night that they found out, they were able to save all their equipment. But they said the ceiling collapsed in Lisa Marie's bedroom right there in Palm Springs at the Elvis house when Collective Soul was recording. Oh, my and God. I, <laughs> and I, you know, I just thought, and it reminded me of that tree limb breaking yeah. at Graceland when they were coming out of the mansion with the casket. And they were, and Jerry was like, yep, he's here. Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, and I always talk about um, years ago when I was friends with Tony Curtis, and I think I've talked about this. Uh, I know I've talked about that, but that he always said every day, look for a 10 second miracle, look for something that you can't explain, something that you just need to acknowledge and then continue on with your day. And that was certainly, that was certainly a 10 second miracle. What happened to uh, that band that night that Lisa Marie passed in January. So it's out there. And what is amazing, we're talking about Palm Springs. Yeah. Not exactly the reigning capital of the world. Yeah. This exactly. in Tampa, you know. Yeah. And so that's that's incredible. What a story. And uh, you know, so the year starts off with the uh, the Elvis movie and and it has been an amazing year. And I know that that Jeff, you you actually sent it to me. I hadn't seen it yet. You sent it to me. The the things are are being posted now on social media from uh, Baz's account and some others that they're could be something going on with some footage yes. that Baz Luhrmann is inside of because he got inside the archives at Warner Brothers when he was working on the movie. And, you know, in the year 2000, I worked with a producer named Rick Schmidlin, who was uh, put together at Warner Brothers by Turner Classic Movies, my network, and Warner Brothers to work on a recut, the special edition of That's the Way It Is, an mm-hmm. edition that that we came that we wanted to do that Warner's wanted to do that really highlighted the music in Elvis and kind of got rid of some of the fan interaction fan testimonials because that movie was created for the purpose of enticing people to want to come see Elvis in Las Vegas and and it was a big infomercial for that which is great and it, it served its purpose but in 2000 they did that that recut and Rick Schmidlin went into the archives and found everything he could find but Obviously, 23 years or yeah, 23 years later. Wow. Just amazing to think Mm -hmm. uh, from 2000. There's there was more stuff in there that even he couldn't find 
from That's the Way It Is, from Elvis on Tour, what Baz is doing with it, what Sony and EPE and Warner Brothers have in mind, I have no idea, but the little teaser things are out there now. So let's just sit back. And, <laughs> if yeah. we ever needed proof that Baz was legit, and a real Elvis fan and loved Elvis and loved the Elvis community, I think it's been proven a thousand times over, but this is even more proof. I, I think what Baz found was that he became even more of an Elvis fan uh, when he started working on this project. And remember, the pandemic happened right as they were going into pre-production, getting ready to start production. Uh, they were all down in Australia when COVID hit. Tom Hanks, first one really that anybody knew of, of any celebrity standing, that, that got COVID and he was in Australia. So Bass spent a lot of time, Austin spent a lot of time with Elvis in their lives that they wouldn't have if they had been shooting and moved on to the next project. I think Baz is one of the world's biggest Elvis fans and thank goodness. And I can't wait to see what he does with it. He even hinted, you know, I'm not done with Elvis yet. And also we've got sitting on the shelf somewhere that four and a half hour version that I think Baz wants to one day spring on us too. So we have some stuff coming that we can look forward to. I loved when we got to see the, the first trailer that he introduced and he was wearing the burning love ring and he kind of did the Elvis point toward the movie theater. And that's when you knew, man, this is going to be great. It's going to be legit. And yeah, of course we've talked about the movie at nauseum, but I, I still watch it. I bet once a week. And uh, the other movie that's coming, and it, it just played the uh, Venice Film Festival in September, is the movie Priscilla from uh, Sofia Coppola telling Priscilla's story, her side of the story. And uh, to, to, to go ahead and get in front of some of the criticism that people will have for the movie without <laughs> seeing it, um, the movie was in production before the Elvis movie opened. It wasn't like they waited, saw that there was an Elvis audience to see a movie and said, let's quick, let's rush out a movie. Sophia Coppola, mm -hmm. whose father knows a little bit about making a movie, Francis Ford <laughs> Coppola. And if you don't believe that, just watch The Godfather sometime. Um, she's been raised in a film family and, and she came up with this idea and, and met with Priscilla. And here's what's so fascinating about it. It, it opened in Venice. Uh, it's It's been in limited theaters. Uh, as we do this interview, it opens in a day uh, in mm. limited theaters. It'll be out in December in more theaters. But it's really focused on Priscilla's life with Elvis meeting him. It's only been seen by critics. And right now, there's a movie uh, rating site called Rotten Tomatoes. And what Rotten Tomatoes does is it takes reviews and it posts reviews from critics all over the country, all over the world. And it, it, it looks at the review, if it's a positive review or a negative review. And if it's positive, they let you know. And if it's not, you know, they let you know. And it's, it's on a scale of, you know, zero to 100%. 100% is everybody loves it. Right now, with 73 reviews, Priscilla has a 93% positive mm. rating. Wow. Um, and looking at just some of the headlines of, of some of the reviews, well, first of all, it, it the, the write-up about it is it says, when teenage Priscilla Beaulieu meets Elvis Presley at a party, the man who is already a meteoric rock and roll superstar becomes someone entirely unexpected in private moments, a thrilling crush, an ally in loneliness, a vulnerable best friend. Through Priscilla's eyes, Sofia Coppola tells the unseen side of the great American myth in Elvis and Priscilla's long courtship and turbulent marriage from a German army base 
to his dream world estate of Graceland in this deeply felt and ravishingly detailed portrait of love, fantasy, and fame. Mm. It's it's her story. Uh, I, I saw an interview with the uh, the actor who's uh, who's playing Elvis the other day. He seems like a very interesting guy. Loved uh, and was very intimidated by you know playing Elvis and even following Austin. Um, but some of the some of the top reviews, uh, one the critic with Entertainment Weekly said Priscilla is by no means a perfect film, but it's refreshing for its mere existence. Uh, this one from uh, Mashable, which is a website, Coppola paints Priscilla's world with all the attention to detail that the young girl does her fingernails. Mm. <laughs> Every stroke matters and pays off. So it's it's interesting. Ninety three percent. That's a pretty good rating f- for a for a movie. I've seen some criticism, you know, the movie has, and it makes, it says it has no Elvis music. No Elvis music has been licensed for the film. And I say, well, why would it be? Because it's her story. Right. Uh, she, she wasn't present in recording sessions. She wasn't present on movie sets. Elvis didn't do a lot of concerts during their period together. She told me one time, the very first time she ever saw Elvis perform was one night at the uh, shooting of the 68 comeback special in the summer of 68. That's the first time she ever saw Elvis in front of an first audience. First time Priscilla ever saw Elvis was then. Wow, yeah, I didn't in, know in that. In front of an audience. Yeah, yeah. At, at the 68 comeback. So I can't wait to see the movie. It seems like a, uh, a romantic story of two people. And she has a story, and she's allowed to tell her story. It happens to involve Elvis. But those people around him had stories to tell. And so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Well, as we know, Tom, uh, Facebook, et cetera, there are people that are just going to hate everything. Yeah. I mean, there are people that hated the way Elvis and Priscilla's relationship was portrayed in, in, in the Baz film. There are people that hate and love everything. There are people that hate stuff they've never seen or never heard. They hate ETAs they've never met, never heard, nothing. Yeah. So there's nothing we can do about that. I was very reluctant to see it. But I thought, well, I can't have an opinion if I don't. And who knows? We may watch this film. Elvis was a human being, and he was a human being that had an incredible life that can be compared to nobody else on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Nobody went through what he went through, created what he did. So I, I, I and I almost just want to say, see anything that has to do with Elvis at this point. I I I think that's uh, I think that's the way to do it to to have an inform and listen I got I got no stake in this movie I I don't you know either it doesn't make any difference to me either way but I like to form an opinion of something I'm a big fan of um, and even if I you know if I followed baseball and I was a huge baseball fan and my teams weren't playing in the World Series I would still watch the World Series because yes. it's important for what I love baseball same thing with Elvis I I need to keep up in that world. And it's not like we've been watching Elvis movies the last seven or eight years because there have been so many of them. I think this is two mm-hmm. over the last you know couple <laughs> of years. Um, and looking at the cast list, I love that you know Joe Esposito has an actor playing him. Jerry Schilling has an actor. Larry Geller, wow. Mike Stone, and Terry West. Now this, I, I, I'm wondering who Terry West is supposed to be. Is he yeah. sunny? Is he red? Or is he a an amalgam of both <laughs> West boys? whose name is Terry in the movie. I want this question answered. I don't know. But uh, and, and the other thing, Jeff, I, I wanted to, to say that I found out, because I found it interesting when this guy, the actor uh, that, that plays Elvis in the movie, Jacob Elordi, uh, he was on the Today Show the other day talking about the movie, and they said, you're the first actor 
we've been able to interview since the strike started. Because actors, you cannot promote your movie when the strike is going, the actor's strike is mm -hmm. going on. Because here are the rules of any WGA, Writers Guild of America, covered project. It says, current strike rules forbid any WGA covered project shot in the U.S. from receiving an interim agreement from SAG-AFRA. But here's the thing. Shot in the USA is the part. It was shot in Canada. It was produced by a Canadian company. And they were allowed to promote their movie and to open it with screenings at a film festival and promote it because it's a Canadian production. Right. Wow. So that's, that's right. why the, the movie's been out and, and they're, they're being able to, to talk about it when a lot of other movies are, are not able uh, to talk about it. And it's kind of like, um, I may hate the movie, I may love the movie. You know, <laughs> the sports analogy was great. There's that Fansville Dr. Pepper thing where they have the commercial where everybody's burning all their gear and they've had it with their team. They're done. They're never watching it again. And Brian yeah. Bosworth comes out and goes, guys, that was only one play. <laughs> you know, So I'm willing to give it a chance. Uh, I'm going to try and to I, go I, in I, it with I, an open mind and we'll see. And it's interesting. It's in such contrast when you see the promos, such contrast with Baz's Elvis over the top, glitzy lights, music, you know, it's just, it's just the other side of Elvis's story, and it's Priscilla's side of the story, and I, I want to see it. It, it. I'm glad it doesn't try to out-glitz Baz, right. because it's a losing proposition to out-glitz out Baz Luhrmann. And, and remember, all of us were so excited about the Elvis movie coming out. And for a year, people were just annihilating it. They hadn't seen it. They hadn't seen a commercial. They hadn't seen a set photo or anything. And then, of course, it comes out, and it's this incredible movie that just made Elvis's fan base even bigger. And, you know, I, I've seen some posts about, well, look at the sales of this. I don't think it did anything. We're on the front lines, so to speak, in the uh, Elvis Tribute Artist world. where we go out and we're performing, we've seen the audiences double. We've seen people raising their hands. This is their first Elvis event ever. And inevitably, it's because of uh, the film that Baz made. So I think anything Elvis is going to be good. Uh, Elvis was a human. We all make mistakes. There's good and bad in everybody's world. And it'll be interesting to see, I think. I think anyway, um, like I said, uh, I think I've said this a couple of times, welcome any new Elvis fan in the room. Let's not be arguing at the door when they come in. <laughs> I, I love that. Now, this is totally off the subject, but I think it's very important. We, we, we brought up COVID and, and how Tom Hanks was the first famous person that we had kind of heard had COVID. Mm -hmm. And this relates, you know, we always seem to reference some sort of film that you and I are obsessed with, Tom. Do you know who the first kind of actress or actor that died from COVID in April of, of uh, 2020? Ooh. Her name is Elizabeth Fierro. Well, who is that you say? Who is that I say? She's the one that slapped Brody in Jaws. <gasps> no. Kittner's mom, yeah. And I, Kittner's and, mom. And this is before we knew that COVID was going to actually be a thing. And I remember posting on Facebook thinking I was being real funny. Because we all thought it was kind of a joke and this mysterious illness that we didn't know anybody who had it, right? And I said, okay, now they killed, Kit now killed Kittner's mom. Now I'm angry. 
Yeah. Little did we know I, what, how the year would progress. But. I remember seeing interviews with her, and she said she can't count how many times she's had people ask to be slapped by her. Yeah. Like and she I, slapped uh, Chief Chief Brody. And I have a great Kittner story I'll tell one of these days. <laughs> and speaking of uh, Jaws, real quick, uh, I'm a big fan of the movie Meg, the shark movie. Oh, with yeah. Jason Stratham. And it had a – and so – I randomly, I don't really keep up anymore with movies that are coming out in theaters because I, that used to be my job. Mm. And so I really just, I really don't care because I'm probably not going to see it anyway anymore. Um, and so I decided I had seen Meg years ago. So I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to watch this movie. And it's ridiculously over the top. It's a giant shark that's computer generated. And Jason Strait, he's just great. Um, I'm for any guy that's balding doing anything in a big, big screen movie. You know, I look at him and go, ah, I could, I could do that. Yeah, maybe there's a, so you're saying there's a chance. Uh, you know, I'm thinking a couple of years, that's my haircut. I'm going to go with that. Uh, of course, he's, you know, built like a brick house. But anyway, uh, I'm watching the movie and Jeff, there's these little Jaws references in the movie. Little, little There's just little things like little barrel, barrel references of things <laughs> popping up like in a drink. And then there's a dog, they're at the beach. And there's a dog at the beach, and Jeff, the dog's name is Pippin. And the the guy's going, Pippin? Pippin? Oh, yes, Pippin. And I'm just dying. So the movie's over, right? and it kind of ends on a cliffhanger, like, oh, this might not be the last Meg. There might be another Meg. And Jeff, I watched this movie on a Monday, okay? Didn't know anything about it had a sequel. So I look it up, and I'm like, is this movie going to have a sequel? Because the movie Meg is like seven or eight years old. I don't even know. It's like five years old at least. Jeff, the movie not only was Meg 2 made, it was coming out that Friday. <laughs> and I just saw the first movie, didn't know that it had a sequel, and I went to the theater to see it, and swear to God, there was another Pippin in the movie. Another <laughs> Pippin. That's great. Well, you talk about Jason being built like a brick house. I'm built like a blow-up fun house that you have at a 10-year-old's <laughs> kid's party, so we'll go with I'm that. A bouncy, I'm a bouncy house. <laughs> I'm one of those bouncy houses that blows away in a big wind because they forgot <laughs> right. to stake it down. Anyway, oh, that's a little bit of, of what's going on in the world of movies and what's going on in our lives. And we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to look at some a date with Elvis in November. What was Elvis up to in the month of November? And if you're a movie fan, you got to love November. That's coming up. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream. Men, beware. Use one dab of Brill Cream. Just a little dab makes your hair look excitingly clean, disturbingly healthy. This man dared to use two dabs. Now he's in trouble. We refuse to be responsible. Brill Cream, Brill Cream, Brill Cream. I'm Tupelo Tom. And I'm Big Lou. And we are back to talking. And Jeff, uh, one of the things I love about doing this podcast is it allows me to really go into my books and go into the internet and find out a date with Elvis, uh, to find out what was going on in Elvis's world in a particular month. And November, if you're an Elvis movie fan, you got to be a fan of November because, uh, there were, there were really three, once Elvis got the, uh, the movie machine running, there were three dates on the calendar 
that they used to always release Elvis movies. It was Easter because there's a big holiday weekend. There's summer and there's the Christmas season. But November, I think, stands above any of them with movie releases. Okay, so there were 13 Elvis movies released in the month of November over the years, including the very first one, Love Me Tender, November 21st of 56. So Love Me Tender. Then the very next year, November 8th, Jailhouse Rock. Then Elvis goes to the Army, comes back, and starts a string of November releases. Now, these are not all the movies released in this month. These are just the November releases. But in November of 60, G.I. Blues. November of 61, Blue Hawaii. November of 62, Girls, Girls, Girls. November of 63, Fun in Acapulco, movie opened November 27th, just a few days after Kennedy's assassinated. So fun if you're ever in a trivia contest, Fun in Acapulco was the Elvis movie that was in theaters when President Kennedy was assassinated. Mm. Next year, Roustabout in 64, Harem Scarum in 65, Spin Out in 66, Clambake in 67, 68, took the summer off because he's shooting... You know, he's shooting uh, the, the comeback special. And Change of Habit in November of 69. Then the concert movies were Christmas releases. That's the way it is in November of 70. Elvis on tour in November of 72. And it's because that movie was still doing so well. The Aloha concert they had scheduled to do in late 72. And that's why they pushed it into uh, January of 73 because Elvis on tour was still doing really well in the theaters. I wonder if there was a reason they released those movies in November, especially the summer themed films. I wonder if it had something kind of a concept of like Christmas in July, we're going to bring you summertime and during the, the winter and Christmas, you know? Well, you've, you've, you've got kids on, on holiday. Cause back in the day, my birthday's January 5th, a few, just a few days before Elvis's, uh, not the same year though. And, I remember as a kid, I was never in school on my birthday, and my birthday's January 5th. Our Christmas holidays back in the day, uh, they were two, three weeks long, and that's why an Elvis movie came out in November, to get the kids that were out of school, there you go. get them in the movie theaters, and and that was it. That was that was pretty smart programming on the part of, uh, of the movie studios. Yes, that's cool. And all these movies, like you said... They're kind of all summer themed, aren't they? I mean, they're all just kind of uh, fun entertainment. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, 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 I'm fascinated about the uh, uh, one time I, I made a list of uh, <laughs> I made a list of the professions that Elvis had in these movies. And it's every and it's anything from multiple times as a race car driver to a fashion photographer uh, to a Playboy type photographer in the same movie, <laughs> uh, a frog man. A bus boy, you know. I mean, just it's just it's just wonderful fun. A mechanic, yeah. A, I'm sorry, a race driving mechanic, not just a mechanic. <laughs> and most of these are, you know, a crop duster who sings, a mechanic who sings, a race driver who sings, a helicopter uh, pilot who gives helicopter tours pilot, and sings, doctor, <laughs> yes, ghetto doctor, ghetto doctor who sings. Um, you know, it's, so it's just uh, a guy who won who runs a Chautauqua who sings, an old west outlaw. Who sings? It's, well, Kinda. only over the opening credits. <laughs> right. When he's not getting beaten up by uh, Red or Sonny or somebody. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
that anyway, that's that's some of the some of the dates with Elvis. And we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with, uh, I think, one of the most historic things we've ever done on this podcast. Forty three years in the making. My long lost interview with DJ Fontana and the story that goes along with that coming up right here. Oh, it's ooh, it's exciting. Ooh. If you've got the time, we've got the beer, Miller beer. Miller tastes too good to hurry through. But when it's time to relax, Miller stands clear, beer after beer. If you've got the time, I'm Tupelo Tom. And I'm Big Lou. And this is going to rule. Uh, Tom, one of the greatest things that being a part of the Elvis world that you and I have been able to experience. Um, and as we're about to learn, you experienced it long before I did, was becoming yeah. friends. I mean, real friends, having a real relationship with DJ Fontana, who was one of the most interesting, hilarious, fascinating people I've met. And he was so good to me. Um, I've got a bunch of stories. We'll, we'll, we, you know, we may do that in an episode where we talk about our stories with the different people, but Karen, yeah. I adore to this day, his wife. Of course, we were all sons, friends with his son, David. And but But to get to know DJ, I would look at his hands and I would think, that's the hands that had the stick on jailhouse rock that played the snare. Yeah. I mean, yeah. different things like that. And the, and the stories when he would talk about when they did the, the show with Sinatra and he m- makes a comment like, oh, I remember <laughs> we did that thing with Frank. I thought, yeah, that was just a gig to him. I go, yeah, yeah exactly. I'm familiar with that yeah. DJ, but it was, and, and that, that, that high I would get when we'd be in Tupelo or, and I'd walk in and I'd hear Karen say, Hey DJ, Jeff's here. And he go, where, where is he? Where is he? And yeah, to think, yeah. he, you know, it, it was just something I treasure to this day. But what we're about to do and hear, Tom, please set up. This is so cool, and you'll never hear it anywhere else. And why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, it's it's amazing to me, and I've been incredibly blessed through a variety of uh, circumstances. Uh, to have been placed one day in a room at, at Graceland at EPE, uh, working for Turner, to have an opportunity to to start a relationship with the people at EPE, and that grew out of obvious my obvious love of Elvis, and uh, growing up in Tupelo, uh, going to Milam and Lawhorn where he went to school, and just Elvis's whole presence here in town, and with the birthplace, and with my mom's record collection that I found when I was a little kid, and who is this guy? And I mean, I discovered him like all of us did, you know, at a young age. For me, it was a little different. I'm an only child. And I always had this relationship with Elvis where I felt like he was an older brother who had left home, kind of like that older brother on happy days that you never saw, you know, <laughs> right. the guy that played basketball. Yeah, lived in just, the- After, after a season, he was just kind of gone. I assume with the NBA, I didn't really know where yeah. he went, but they didn't. And the they Fonz, who I'll him. be meeting soon, moved oh. into his, his uh, attic apartment there. One of the greatest uh, actors, one of the nicest yeah. men you will ever meet. I have a, I'll t- I have a Henry Winkler story for you when we share those stories. <laughs> anyway, so I had this love of Elvis, and I, I got this situation, 
in 2000 where I was in the room and I've told the story about how I was talking about things and we were working on that's the way it is. And Todd Morgan, God bless him, uh, said, who are you? And I said, well, what are you talking about? He goes, where are you from? And I said, well, and I had not told anyone from Graceland of my love of Elvis. I said, I'm from Tupelo. And then Todd said, well, thank God we finally got one of our boys on the inside, meaning Elvis finally has an executive <laughs> at a place that can help him as opposed <laughs> right. to take advantage of him. So I started hosting events for Graceland. I've been doing it now 23 years and birthdays and all kinds of stuff and festivals and Tupelo. And it's just been great. And I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of people during Elvis week and all the, all the gigs that I've done. I was an entertainment reporter in the nineties. So I was traveling all over the country, but Jeff, let's go back in time right now. Let's go back in time to 1980, the days of 1980. Mm. Young Tom, young Tom is 20 years old and Jeff, the waistline is probably 28 or something <laughs> like that. I'll tell you how thin I was, Jeff. I didn't, know about being fat yet you know <laughs> i still was eating whatever i wanted oh, yeah. i never thought about it it was yeah. 1980 elvis had only been gone a couple of years now i had gone to the groundbreaking of the meditation uh, chapel at the birthplace grounds and i had gone to the uh i'd gone to the groundbreaking and then i'd gone to the grand opening i knew ms mccomb growing up a friend of elvis's who was very uh, involved in the creation and establishment of the birthplace and all the facility out there. But in November of 1980, there was a film festival in Tupelo and they were going to have country stars there. They had uh, Kirk Allen. His name will come up in the interview. Kirk Allen was the actor who played Superman in the serials in the 1940s, the, the serials that would be about 10, 15 minutes long. And he would go every week and there'd be another chapter and there'd be a cliffhanger. It's kind of like, what Raiders of the Lost Ark was based on, serials. So this Superman actor, Kirk Allen, was going to be there. But also, Jeff, DJ Fontana, Elvis's drummer, was going to be there. Now, it's November of 1980. I am a junior at Ole Miss, and I'm taking a class called uh, Study of Southern Culture, and I'm taking it from a gentleman named Professor William Ferris, who established the Center for the Study of Southern Culture. This class, one of the greatest classes I ever had, this is the class where I finally realized instead of hiding from being a Southerner, I should be proud to be a Southerner. We have William Faulkner. We have Elvis. We have such great things to be proud of in the South. He would bring in blues musicians to class to play for us. And our assignment, looming out there like a freight train, at the end of the semester, was to write a paper using multiple sources on something Southern. Now, I get an idea, and I go to Dr. Ferris, and I said, Dr. Ferris, if I can get an interview with DJ Fontana and ask him questions about Elvis, can I use him as one of my sources? And Dr. Ferris said something, I believe, and looking back on it, changed my entire career. He says, Tom, if you can get an interview with DJ Fontana, just type up the interview, transcribe the interview, and that's your paper. And I'm like, that's all I got to do it. I said, okay, that's all I got to do. I found out that the guy organizing the festival was an old friend of mine and a band director that I knew here in Tupelo. So I talked to him and he introduced me to DJ. 
and I, you know, said, Mr. Fontana, can when you have an off, when you have a break, can I interview you? Jeff, I'm going to admit to something, and I have to admit to it now because you'll hear it in just a few seconds. All right. Um, this is November of 1980, and I am only about a month into uh, voice class, speech class in theater. Uh, I didn't always have these dulcet tones that you hear emanating in your head right now. Uh, I sounded like I was from Tupelo, Mississippi. All right. And uh, I, I would have argued with you that I didn't have an accent. But uh, I played this interview for some loved ones, and they looked at me and said, who's talking to DJ? <laughs> and I said, me. And they said, no, seriously, who's talking to DJ? So this is Tom Brown before, and thank God for Ole Miss speech class and Dr. Ann B. Nolan, who pounded the accent out of my body that you will hear here, and that only few... Well, if you're around me when I have a cocktail or two, this accent <laughs> comes back really quickly. But DJ Fontana said, yes, I will do the interview, but will you do something for me? He said, will you take me to the birthplace? I've never been there before. And I'm like, okay. And so we, we were going to meet up the next day. And I believe this cassette has on it, uh, November 9th, 1980. Thank goodness I wrote that on the cassette. DJ Fontana. And Alex can post this on the website. You can see this, this cassette tape that you've got here. And I took him and, and, and a couple of my friends went with me, Katie D Barry and her brother, Michael D Barry. They went with me cause they were big Elvis fans. And listen, I needed moral support. Don't put me alone in a 1978 Mercury marquee, which was bigger than a battleship to drive <laughs> DJ Fontana to the birth site, to the birthplace. We did the interview and I spent the next, I spent that Christmas holiday um, transcribing that that interview, playing the cassette, stopping it after a couple of words, writing it down on a yellow legal pad. I probably did it over, you know, now that I think about it, Jeff, I probably did this over Thanksgiving holidays because I worked at the movie theater throughout college and high school. And so I was the house manager. I would start the movie and then I would go to the office and count money and transcribe this interview. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times he hit play. And then Elvis said to me, click, and then Elvis said to me, <laughs> I write it out longhand and I transcribe it and I turn it in and I get my grade and it's, you know, and life goes on. And then I get involved in the Elvis world. I have the photo of me at 20 years old, which I've posted before, but that's all I had. I didn't know the cassettes even still existed and cleaning up downstairs. I went through and I found, and because like I said earlier, I've always lived my life with the assumption that one day there was going to be a museum about me and I needed to save all this. <laughs> right. That's at least that's been my excuse. A lot of people are pack rats. I'm just, I have the forethought to think that I may do something that there needs to be a museum. You're a museum prepper. I'm a museum prepper. Thank you. Exactly right. Thank you. I'm just in search of a reason to have a museum and my Angie Marchese. That's what I'm waiting on. So I find this cassette and Lo and behold, like a couple of days later, I'm at Sam's Club and they have a 1980s, and 80s is in quotes because it's a new thing. They have a boom box that plays cassettes like, you know, that we had back in the day. And I played this cassette and I myself wondered, I wonder who that is talking to DJ. And I realized, oh, that's me. So Jeff, all that. I said all that to say all this. I've been watching the way you've been watching my miss. I think it's time now to go back 
to November 9th of 1980 at an interview actually done at the birthplace, Jeff, there, uh, when I sat down with DJ Fontana, and I'll tell you, I don't know how many interviews I've done in my life. Uh, I don't know what my last one will be, but I thank the Lord that my first one was DJ Fontana. When I asked him, when you were touring with Elvis, who was with him? I didn't build, didn't I joined him a little bit later. I stayed with him about, I mean, one tour with him, I remember, and ended up in the hospital. From fans? No, I had a gallbladder problem. But, but Elvis always said, see, you work with us one week, and one week. you just you end up in the hospital. They, they come to the hospital and see me, you know. Yeah. He said, you just can't take it. Did you know, you didn't know then what, what he was going to be? No, you, you really couldn't tell. He, he had, you know, he was, uh, he had a lot of talent, and he would have come out sooner or later. Yeah. You know, a guy like there's no way to stop him. Whoever managed or whatever, it would have made a difference. He'd have been just as big. You're talking about, you've been talking about the colonel, the way he handled it. What, what do you think of the way he handled it? Well, you know, you've got to get the Starting man. out, he kept the secrecy like. Well, that was part of the whole uh, yeah. image. Yeah. In other words, just leave the people wanting a little bit more at a time. Mm -hmm. That's what really helped him keep as big as he did for 25 years. Yeah. And the colonel wouldn't let him go on television. Like some of those guys had television shows every week, every day. He said, no, we'll just burn you out. Just wear you out with the public. So that's why when he was on television, everybody watched him. Because you didn't see him that often. And they would announce it in advance. Elvis is going to be on. So and so and so. And so, so build yeah. But he wouldn't go on, but every two or three years. What was it like doing those television shows with Ed Sullivan? Uh, we had to work hard, some rehearsals we were involved. Uh, basically, it wasn't nothing to it. It was, it was pretty easy. They let us do what we wanted to do, or they let Elvis do what he wanted to do, and that's the way it should have been. Yeah. Were, the, were the fans back then, did you ever see any fans then that you kept seeing later? I'm sure there were fans that followed you through. Well, yeah, we had them follow all over the country, really. From New York to the West Coast, to Las Vegas, uh, to Louisiana, to Texas. Yeah. You know, you'd, you'd see them every so often show up in these little towns. Just so yeah, that's actually what happened. We grew up with the, with the fans. Yeah. We just grew up with them. And it, it seemed like the, the generations, the fans you grew up with, their kids. Well, they, well, they grew up listening to their, yeah. their mothers and dads tapes and records and, and television. And we were talking earlier about how um, people 90 years old. Well, he had them from four to nine. But they wouldn't, you know, they were always kind of quiet about it. Yeah. Well, a lot of people loved him, really, but they hated to admit it. Yeah. And I don't know why. It's a shame. And all the things that came out in the 50s about how he was leading the, the youth down the path to, you know, everything. And he was, in, you know... Well, it was really nothing to that. Yeah. It was just basically the press. Yeah. You see the press write about him. He thought about, about that, too. Yeah, he used to wonder about it. He really did. But the colonel always told him, he said, don't worry about it, son. He said, as long as they spell your name right, we're in business. Mm -hmm. Which is a good theory. Because yeah. you couldn't buy that much press. You know? That's right. You couldn't buy that much exposure. You and they would afford to pay for it. Yeah. And, you get and they'd come out to the concerts. He was getting it free. He was getting it free. They really helped him and didn't realize it. You know, the vulgarity, they say he was vulgar and this and that and the other. That's going to make people want to go see him. There was a thing on the TV special he was talking about, did a concert in Florida, and then the police come out to watch it. And he well, they, it. they filmed the whole show. Yeah. They taped it right then and there. But uh, he didn't move. You know, he didn't. He moved his finger maybe yeah. just a little yeah. bit. They go wild. Twitch his mouth. And he kind of, people knew it. 
But every so often he says, well, I'm not supposed to move. But, but, but the vice squad was sitting there, and the parent teacher association, the mayor, and just a lot of people that I don't think they even wanted us in town, you know, <laughs> but the place was packed. They were there too. And, and naturally, the next day they wrote about it. Naturally, when we went to another town, they already heard about it, so that people would lock in the doors and go see it. What was it like on the road with him? He said he was kind of a wild guy on the road. Well, no, it wasn't wild, but he had a good sense of humor. Yeah. You know. Because it gets a little hairy. It gets hectic out there, seven days a week, every night in a different town. So, we, you know, you have to break the monotony doing something. Firecracker. He, he doesn't buy a firecracker. Yeah. Well, see, back then they didn't have a lot of these interstates, you know, they had little grocery stores, little fruit stands all up and down the highway, and we had to stop at every one of them. We, we couldn't make it. If we had to go 100 miles, it would take us five hours, because he had to stop. <laughs> oh. Well, what was it, what was it like? Uh, how, was, how did Scotty and Bill and you react to... Did y'all ever talk about what was happening between yourselves? A lot of times we didn't, we didn't have the time to talk about it much. We, like I said, we was always traveling, you know. And we really didn't realize what was happening. And that was the separate reason for that is we was always like a day ahead of the press. Otherwise, we work like two below today. Tomorrow we may be in Memphis. But we've already lost the papers for this morning. So we didn't know what was going on. Up yeah. until about two years later, we said, hey, this guy's a monster. Like that thing that seemed to seen in Loving You, where they've got the guy, they've got Elvis going around all the different places. Yeah, and that's basically what he's, he's building up, and yeah. he doesn't even, he's not even aware of it. You're not aware of it, because it's happened too fast. And we never had a chance like, to read the press or interviews or anything. We just had to go to the next town. So. What did you do while he was in the, in the Army? You uh, and Scotty? Well, Scotty lived in Memphis. Bill lived in Memphis. And Scotty's a sound engineer anyhow. So he went into engineering, basically. That's what he's doing now. Yeah. Bill had his combo just about trying to get that thing started, you know. And I was down in Louisiana, so I was working clubs. Uh, Piddling around, I, I, I went out with Gene Vincent and the Blue Caps. I don't know if you remember those guys, yeah. but they were a hot group in the 50s and early 60s. You know. Yeah. You I, said you'd met Buddy Holly once. Years ago. Yeah. Before. Not, was, yeah. It, was he in Texas or on? Did he come on Louisiana Hayride? No, I, I can't remember. I don't know if it was in Chicago. Where it was one yeah. of those times. You know, you run into so many people, it's hard to remember where you even seen them at. You were on all the soundtracks. Yeah, all the movies. Those, those recorded in. We were done most Nashville of them. Well, we done, yeah, we started out doing most of them in, in Hollywood. Yeah. And the last, I forget what pictures they were, but then we'd go into Nashville and do some. Odd but hours, of them, odd hours oh, yeah, on those. Like he usually come in sometime Sunday nights. And say, we're supposed to be there at 6 o'clock. Well, he'd show up around midnight. And then we'd start then. He'd go to 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, go back, lay down. The next night started. Even then, he had his weird, his weird hours. Well, he was a night person, you know. He always, he, he just didn't happen overnight. He was always like, that. yeah. Because we we'd be going down the road. And he wanted to stay up all night, listen to the radio. And we had to drive. Of course, he drove a lot, but we we were tired, and we knew we had to work the next day. But he didn't care. See, he he'd sleep all day. He could sleep during the day. It wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't bother him. But as soon as the sun came up, we woke up. Yeah. And the sun was, beating down on your face, you know. He's in the back seat. He's in the back seat laying down. It didn't bother him. Well, um, um, you went to, you were in Hawaii. You did the Hawaii concert with him, right? For the, the uh, memorial? We went to raise the money for that? Yeah, for USS, I think, I think it was the USS Arizona. We built them, helped build the memorial yeah. over. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't really, he didn't do any concerts, right, during the 60s, just from, since that till the well, he didn't do, Yeah, we've done one in Memphis. Uh, we, we did, a, in fact, we were talking about it. We did a charity 
thing in Memphis. Yeah. Well, I don't remember what year. Do you remember what year it was? When we, when it, it was the first show, the first appearance he made in the United States when he come out. Come out of the Army. So okay. I was trying to remember that. Ellis Yeah, Ellis yeah. Auditorium in Memphis. I've seen some interviews. I believe, I believe it was 60. It must have been. Well, he got out in 60. That's so that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. In 68, did you get a, when he called you, get a phone call from you? Yeah, they, well, the, the office called, Colonel. Yeah. The, they wanted me and Scotty to come out and do the special. So him and I, of course, we were on one on the left of the original group, you know. Mm -hmm. So we went out. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. It showed, too, on that. Yeah. It was relaxed, and that's the way they wanted it. And it was a lot of fun. Just, there was no scripts, no dialogue. Just, he just started playing, and y'all started playing. Do whatever you want to do. Well, I guess y'all knew each other so well. that. Yeah, you know, well, we knew the records. You yeah. know, just about backwards and forwards, you know. So it was no problem. You said there, you said there was no procedure for a concert, you just, you just walk it on stage and just whatever he wanted to do, Hound Dog was, do. was the last. Yeah. Well, but, oh, you're talking about his show date. Yeah. yeah. No, we never knew what he was going to do. There was no written script or nothing. It just, he'd, he'd, he'd feel the people. If he felt like they wanted a ballad, he'd sing a ballad. If he felt like they wanted to rock, well, he'd rock, you know. And uh, we didn't know. Just every night was a different uh, experience. But, you know, because he felt the people to see what they wanted. He might start out with some up tempo things, and they'd go to Holland, sing so and so and so, and so he'd then he calmed down a little bit. You and know? some entertainers go out, they know exactly what well, he did later. Yeah. Because he had the you know the big band, and they they just be working like heck to get all his, all the uh, arrangements up. See, uh -huh. everything we did, we did it by memory. We just done what we felt like we wanted to do. So it was easier for us because we knew what he was going to do basically. But still, that still we didn't know. But yeah. But we didn't know the song, so he could he, he just holler back, well, how about it? It's going to be cool. So we knew what they were in here. But I had to go, go to music and look at you know. What type of, the Colonel in the later years, did, um, did he keep Elvis under wraps? And Elvis, did, he, did Elvis want that, or did he just trust in the Colonel? I'm sure he trusted the Colonel. Yeah. He hadn't trusted the man for that many years. And like I said, the man was a, he's just a smart businessman. There's no yeah. question about that. Kind of. Barnum type, you know, the yeah. circus type. Of. I don't think, uh, in other words, he, he didn't really get into Elvis' private life. Yeah. He took care of the business, Elvis took care of what he wanted to take care of. I think that's why they got along so well, you know. Mm -hmm. He didn't try to run Elvis' life or his business or whatever he wanted to do. That's his business. What about Vernon? Did he? Now, Vernon used to kind of take care of the house and everything yeah. around there, but uh, he didn't really have any great authority. He wouldn't touch her. Yeah. 
Well, what, what about, when did you first meet Priscilla? After he'd come out from Germany. Well, I went to Grayson one day. We were getting ready to do something. I don't know what it was, man. And uh, she was out, out in the yard riding a horse. And me and my wife were there, with, you know, talking to Elvis. She was way across the field, just, you know, a little way. And she waved. She's just as nice as she could be. She's young, man. She's a pretty, pretty girl, beautiful girl. She didn't have a bit of makeup on or lipstick or anything. But she was just beautiful. Kind of different from those pictures they've got of... Well, then, well, she went to Hollywood, you know, and, yeah. got, and that, she really, to me, she looked bad. Yeah. But then when I saw her again, the last time I saw her was at the funeral. People didn't know that Elvis knew her that long. They thought that it was just a, because he got, what, he got married in 68, and he kind of kept her in the background. Because his always, fans would have. She was always basically in the background. Yeah. I think she understood, you know, yeah. married a guy like him, and, you know, you just got to kind of stay then, out of the way. But then, finally, she couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, it's a shame, you know. Because uh, she was a nice person. You know, she always spoke to me. And we wasn't, wasn't buddies or anything, but she was nice. You know? It seemed like there were two groups of people that hung around Elvis. There were his musicians that you and Scotty and that well, did the work and, and did the work and saw him occasionally. Yeah, we didn't go there much to bug him or irritate him. Yeah. Hardly ever. I'd go by and visit, you know. Me and my wife and family would go by. We'd spend a couple hours. I said, well, I'm going to go. I'll see you. And that's about what it mattered to. Yeah. But then there was another the group. There was a lot of guys around all the time, and I'm... I just hated to be around the most time like that. You know, I just couldn't sit there day in and day out. You know, kind of it's kind of a prison, right? Yeah. Um. What about Lisa? What type of person do you think? Have, how long has it been since you've seen her? Well, at the funeral, yeah. You know, of course she was just running around. You know, she realized her dad was gone. You know, well, well, we probably went down one time when she was just a little bitty baby. He was sitting in the room rocking. And, 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 uh, so I don't. I didn't really know her that well. You know, she was always California. Back she looked like Elvis. Yeah. Exactly. If it had been a boy, it'd have been spitting in the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the whole thing, the hair. Yeah. Well, who's gonna who's gonna get Graceland now? Do you know? Is it still nobody knows? I don't. I think it's up for grabs. I have no earthly idea what they're doing. Uh, I guess maybe his wife probably has the authority right now. You know, of course, it belongs to Lisa, yeah. but I guess she's her guardian, so I guess she has the authority. Well, if Lisa ever decides to go into the recording business, she's going to have... Well, if she can sing at all, she'll if have she, Yeah, she's going to have fans that are going to... Oh, yeah, she wouldn't have a bit of trouble. Yeah. Uh, she, she could probably get it. And if the colonel manages it, she'd be better. <laughs> the colonel had a son, boy. Yeah, guess. really. Looking <laughs> could be the lieutenant or something. Yeah. yeah. But um, you're working now. You came last year. This summer, you came to the convention in Memphis, right? Yeah. You're going to be, you're going to be back next year? Yeah. Right? It's going to be bigger and better. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, we had, I had a lot of fun with these things. Yeah. Get to talk to the people that... Well, I get to talk to the fans, and I enjoy talking to the Cowboy Stars, and, you know, like yeah. we've had around here today. I've noticed you, Kirk Allen, you've kind of... Oh, he's a nice man. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of fun. And, you know, he's been around so darn long, he knows everything. He really yeah. does. It just, it's just really interesting listening to him talk. That's great. I wish there'd been more people here to... Well, maybe next with. year. Yeah. Maybe next year. It'll be better. Come back. I'll see you in Memphis. All right. I'll be there. Yeah. You're going to have... You're going to try to get movie stars. Yeah, well, they're going to try. We're gonna, that's going to be worked out. I don't know what they're going to do on that yeah. big one yet. But they're working on it now, so it may Probably be everybody better. but the killer will be there. Uh, I ain't going to get into that. 
Killer got a little money out of it. I'm not gonna get into that. Yeah, but yeah, but there's some type of people that the fans don't want to see, is it? Well, that's true. But he he does a good job. Yeah. And maybe next year if he does it, maybe he'll do better. You know. Yeah. I don't know what they're gonna do. I have no idea. I hope they get worked out. Well, they've already started working on it. Yeah. It'll, it'll be pretty well ironed out. Yeah. We've got almost a year to do it. So and if they keep it building, you know, if they keep people informed along. Well, that's what they're trying to do now. That's why I brought the brochures down and give out a few this time. And, uh, yeah. And they're going to be they're gonna be sending out more yeah. from now on up until August next year. Yeah. In other words, they're going to try to show the progress of what they're doing who the artists they're going to have, the stars or whatever. And their relationship to... Yeah, they're going to just keep trying to build that up. So it should be good. Should be there ought to be a lot of people in some way I, connected. I yeah. yeah, I think Because there's a lot of people, you know, now that are associated with them that have made it now, that, like he recorded their songs or something. Yeah, got started. that's what they're... They're trying to work on a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. I hope it, I'm sure that'll work out. I don't know what they're going to do. But they turned out last year. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you. Oh, yeah. Well, Jeff, there you go. That's my interview with <laughs> DJ Fontana that from is, 1980. Uh, <laughs> I am so glad you found that cassette. It's his, it's history. It's our history. Think about 1980. Reagan's just been elected president. Hostages were freed. The Miracle on Ice. I was yeah. 13, starting to fill out with that 34-inch, 32-inch waist with muscles and a flat stomach. Oh, it was, it was good. An amazing time for all. And for me, uh, I feel like if I find that and hear myself like that, if I am the one that releases it, it can't be used as blackmail. <laughs> there you go. There That's you go. a lesson for kids today. If somebody's got something, you do it first. Yep. And it can't be used as blackmail. But uh, I want to uh, just dedicate that to an amazing man, DJ Fontana, who you know, every time I saw him for a number of years, I would always introduce myself. And finally, I think I told you, Jeff, one day he goes, Tom, I know who you are. Just stop introducing <laughs> yourself. You're embarrassing yourself, Tom. Uh, That's but he never knew. And I told him, I said, you were the first person I ever met in the Elvis world. And he remembered going to the birthplace, obviously did not remember talking to me for 15 <laughs> minutes, but he remembered somebody drove him to the birthplace. And I go, well, that was me and my mother's Mercury Marquis. That's so, great. Um, that's a historic document that, that I wanted to share with the fans out there and, uh, just, uh, you know, to, to go back in time and to know that for years after this interview, DJ would continue to travel the world and play the music of Elvis. And I remember once at the FedEx forum on one of the big iconic years, it might've been 30 or 35. I can't remember the year, but Jerry Schilling and I had been asked to, to, to open, to have comments in front of the curtain before the big screen show. And, and I remember DJ was sitting in the dark at his drums and he was getting ready. And Jerry just looked over at him and hit me and said, look, 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 DJ's in his office. You yeah. know, that's where he was most comfortable in his office on stage, playing drums in the rock and roll hall of fame from November, 1980. Thank goodness. I found me and DJ Fontana and uh, it just, it's a very special thing. So thank you for letting me share that with everybody. And Alex, thank you for what you were able to do with the audio from, you know, we had some amazing technology back then, Jeff, 1980, but <laughs> you Alex pressed two whatever. buttons at once and you could record. <laughs> it was great. Oh, and you had to, and if you had, if you had uh, flipped that tab out of the end of the cassette, you couldn't tape on it unless you had some scotch tape. <laughs> yeah, Let right. me tell you, Alex's face right now is, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Play and record. Yes, that's uh, right. Yeah. 
you know, what did it take to do an interview in the 80s? Press play and record. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about some festivals that have happened in the past and some things that are going on in the Elvis world, festival-wise, in the future. We'll be back. I'm Tupelo Tom. And I'm Big Lou. Tom, what an incredible few weeks it has been since Elvis week, uh, we kind of went on a mad blitz of festival, <laughs> festivaling, if that's a yes. word. And uh, once again, it was jaw-dropping, the reaction, the number of people, the new people. We were in Mount Dora, which is in Florida. Uh, we went to beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. I got to see the Diamondbacks, who are now in the uh, World Series. Oh, wow. And yeah. that was... Uh, Great experience. The audiences, half the house or more, had never been to one of these events. The meet and greet photo opportunities after the shows were wrapped around the entire building. And then, of course, we ended up the tour in Texas. And, of course, incredible crowds in Texas. It had a lot of, it's really neat. You know, we have, you know, the normal Dean Z and Bill Cherry, you know, Cody Delnath, Cully Alex, all the guys that we have at all our events and Ben Thompson, et cetera. But we had some new faces, guys we hadn't worked with as much. Uh, and Arizona is very special. We brought back a guy who's a legend in our business. If there was a legitimate Hall of Fame, he would be in it. Uh, and he still looks as amazing as he ever has and as, as talented and had the women going crazy, Kevin Mills. Yeah. And it was great to see Kevin's enthusiasm as well. He had he'd been out of it for a while after COVID. He was doing... Uh, legends and the cruises and stuff. And the other thing you had in Arizona, because um, I, I pretty much as a 3 million miler have refused to get on an airplane. If I can help it. Uh, I, I was asked, Cody said, we'd love for you to be a part of Arizona. And I said, I, I really don't want to want to fly to Arizona. And he said, well, I, and I don't want to drive to Arizona either. Uh, he said, well, would you do it with video? And so, you know what? Got this idea. Cody said, run with it. And I got Anna Grace Coomer from Tupelo, who is a student at Ole Miss. She came over one afternoon and she and I went all around the city of Tupelo at the historic Elvis sites, uh, doing intros and outros for, for, for all the shows. And, uh, you were a part of setting me up, uh, Jeff, and I just <laughs> wanted to thank you for that. And, and, and how did it go? Did the, did the videos play? It was great because another part of that story, of course, is, they weren't really sure I was going to be alive and be able to emcee it. So we definitely <laughs> Yeah, did. really. I was back up. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's that's a, a little lesson to how much you're really worth in life. Uh, I think Jeff might be dead. Let's just get Tom on video. <laughs> and so, but we did this great oh. bit, at, and Cliff Wright was kind of part of it, where I said, ladies oh. and gentlemen, let's welcome uh, my podcast partner, one of my best friends, Tom Brown. Nothing. Tom Brown. And then Cliff comes over and whispers something in my ear and I go, what? Let me go find him. And then that's when you walked out on the video and yeah. said, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it was a lot of fun to do. And, and I knew that if we had fun with it, the audience would have fun with it. And I, I enjoy hosting and, and uh, it, it's just, it's fun to do. And then we and remember, got together and well, let me interrupt you and say, remember what you told when you walked out, you said, Hey, Cliff, was Arizona this weekend, which would just work <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, that was so I funny. Forgot. I forgot. I walked by it as if it was a surveillance camera and kind of noticed it and came back and said, 
Cl- Cliffy, uh, is it is it now? Hey, and and I assumed Cliff responded with, "Yeah, Tom, yeah. right now." Yeah, <laughs> that was great. I love I love stuff like that. that it's like a fun. magic trick, you know. Thank you yeah. for that. And then and then Texas, Waco, Texas. Yes, we had uh, get to Texas. Of course, I was very happy that oh, you beat Texas that weekend. But I digress. <laughs> On the drive, as we're calling it, Dylan Gabriel. Uh, But anyway, uh, the Texas fans, of course, are always great when we do an event down there. And we had some more, you know, guys like Donnie Edwards, Al Jocelyn, of course, Moses Snow was with us. Craig Parker was with us. We had a bunch of Vince King, a bunch of acts that we hadn't worked with as much, all down there, local guys. David Allen performed a lot. It was just really a fun experience. And then, of course, Victor Trevino Jr., who won the Ultimate uh, the year before Cody did. So we had a lot of great talent there in Texas. It was just an exciting month. It was a hard month. It was nice to have a little bit of a break uh, here this last couple of weeks to get us ready for what's coming up. And that is uh, Jeff Lewis and Friends, as we record this, coming up in less than a week. It's been such a cool thing for me to to grow and experience, and this will be our 10th year 12th festival and we have two guys that have been with me the entire time and that's dean z and timmy and a lot of us kind of met in helen and that's where i brought that's where i met little uh i'm not gonna call him little cody anymore cody dalenath but it's almost like this is our yearly let's all go back to the lake house and hang out and it gives the guys the fans get a lot more i say fans our friends and our elvis family really we get to hang out more. There's no stress of a contest. We get to get kind of weird and creative with the shows because we, we've got a license to do some more fun stuff. Then we have after parties every night. The track shows during the day are really laid back and people just sit out on their lawn chairs if the weather permits. And of course, it's a gorgeous area, Helen, Georgia. And there's just nothing like it. It's something I'm very proud of. It's uh, the after parties, the gospel shows, and Helen are kind of a, uh, it's kind of neat to know I might've left a little bit of a legacy in this business. And, but the only way this happens is with the great performers and the great fans that we have that have been coming every year to this thing. And it's like a family reunion. So I'm really excited about it. And it's, it's also seemingly always on the weekend that the time changes. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's right. (laughs) It's always (laughs) uh, coming back from Georgia to Mississippi. I get two hours back. Yeah. So on Sunday, I'll have a chance to hang out at Bucky's for two hours and really not lose any time. And one interesting thing, it's also usually during uh, the elections. And I'll never forget when I asked you um, the first presidential election that fell on a Helen weekend. I remember telling you, hey, Tom, do me a favor. We announced to the crowd that this is a no political zone. You're not allowed Mm -hmm. to talk politics. And I was backstage. And when you said that, you'd have thought Elvis himself had come down from the heavens. The loud applause and cheering that happened at that moment. So we don't allow political talk. It's all about Elvis, all about having fun and just a chance to hang out in the mountains and beautiful hotel, beautiful lodge. And just 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 have a weekend of, of Elvis fun. What I like about it too, Jeff, is and and Cody is 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 seeing this and in, in the places he goes to for the first time. It happened to Brian, uh, my co-producer of the Nashville Elvis Festival. The first time we performed uh, in Franklin, Tennessee, at the Franklin Theater. We're now at the Factory in Franklin. Nobody knows what you're doing that first time. They don't get it yet. 
the people of Unicoi, you've been through multiple managements at mm-hmm. Unicoi. Yes. But the legacy that Jeff Lewis and friends have, has left has always been, hey, you can do this, you can do that, but don't mess with the Jeff Lewis Festival. <laughs> you know, it's it's. I think you get them. And also, too, the interesting thing, Jeff, it's always the weekend that on Sunday they're bringing the Christmas decorations out. That's right. Yep. To, to decorate because I stayed one year on a Sunday and left on Monday and by Monday morning, it was like a whole different place because the Christmas decorations were out. And we started the whole theme night with costumes. We started that, I don't know, nine, 10 years ago. And the way that people or eight or nine years ago, the way people have responded to this was so far beyond what I imagined. Some of the outfits, <laughs> we, we actually, the Akami sisters, we actually retired them and gave them the trophy for the all-time best because they were so incredible. <laughs> and uh, the, the award now is the Akami Award. But um, it it just, uh, the pressure now to come up with theme nights, thank God I got Alex and Jeannie helping me. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. but because they get so excited about it and they really dive into it. Remember, you and I went with uh, Cody and I think David, Al, we're, we, we, uh, we went as Jaws one time. Yeah, yep. and I, Quinn. you know, some, and I was Richard Dreyfus because yeah. I'm the shortest. Uh, the the thing that get that I remember, Jeff, the one I remember. Sometimes at night when I close my eyes to go to sleep, they'll just because I think it might be burned into my eye. But sometimes, just in the distance, you know how sometimes there's a thing in your eye, and if you look at it, it, it kind of moves up and it goes away. Yeah, it's like, did I see that or not? I still see David uh, David Lee as Ric Flair. Oh, that's going, beautiful. Uh, in the robe and the trunk. Sometimes I still, in my mind, see David Lee as as Ric Flair out there in my mind. And I make I have the guys dress up now. I didn't before, but now I kind of require them to dress up, and we call it the David Lee rule because he dove into it so great. <laughs> David Lee took it and ran with it and buried it and didn't tell us what he did with it. So <laughs> and so I will now. say, if you're out there and you have not been to Helen, um, when we announce, because we let people sign up that Saturday, when we make it available to the public, please, if you want to go, sign up right away because it will sell out. It sells out every year. And uh, it's just, I'm just proud of it, and I'm proud of what we've built. And we've built it because of the, the volunteers that we have, Jeannie and her team. And they are committed to it. The performers are committed to it. The, the fans and our Elvis family, it's just become a, a special event every year. And then, of course, after Helen, we have uh, St. Simons, Georgia, which is the first right. weekend of December. That's one of Cody's events, ETA festivals. And you talk about a beautiful part of the country. And as you know, if you're going to an ETA festival, it's going to be fantastic. And, of course, at St. Simons, we have... Uh, some of the great performers we usually have, Dean Z, Bill Cherry, Ben Thompson, Cody Delnath, David Lee, Michael Chambliss will be joining us, Michael Colifer, Alex, our producer, will be there, Cliff Wright, uh, myself, Riley Jenkins will be there, Braxton Sykes, and Dana Myers. So just go to etafestivals.com, look up the Georgia Elvis Festival, and you can get your tickets and don't miss it. You'll love it. It's beautiful. The shows are going to be fantastic. And we can't wait to see you down south. And uh, Tom, I believe you have some very exciting stuff coming up on Christmas. I do. Yeah. The Nashville Elvis Pe- Festival uh, is presenting again this year, uh, Christmas with the King, with now, I'm glad to say, 
booked at pre-ultimate prices, <laughs> Cody Danath. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we got lucky on that one. Uh, I, I wanted to get that lifetime contract. We couldn't quite get it get it done uh, before he won the championship. Uh, but Christmas with the King last year, we sold out two shows, afternoon and night, at the uh, Franklin Theater, the old original home of the Nashville Elvis Festival. This year, four incredible back-to-back shows. Uh, Saturday, December 16th at 3 and 7.30, and December 17th at 3 and 7.30. Cody Danith, world champion, ultimate champion with the Infinity Band. Uh, I'll be hosting, and there'll be a special appearance, as there is every year, from Santa and his helper. Oh, that is great. Santa will be there, and you get tickets. Just go to the Nashville Elvis Festival website, NashvilleElvisFestival.com, and there's a link for tickets for Christmas with the King, as well as tickets are now on sale for the Nashville Elvis Festival uh, coming up in March, March 21st through the 24th at Liberty Hall at the factory at Franklin. We had a great time this last few months ago at the Nashville Elvis Festival, and this will be the eighth annual Nashville Elvis Festival. It includes a contest. Uh, Riley Jenkins will be back uh, to perform as the reigning Nashville champion, he's going to be doing a tribute to 1954. Jeff, 2024 is an iconic year in the in the history of Elvis and the life of Elvis. So we're looking at huge anniversaries that we're going to be honoring with the, with the shows that we're doing at the Nashville Elvis Festival. So head to our website. You'll be there with after parties. Alex is going to be there paying tribute to Elvis with some wonderful 1970s stacks music that I'm excited about and movies and all kinds of stuff. So Bill Cherry's going to be there. Dean Z's going to be there. And also coming uh, will be uh, to Nashville will be uh, Ben Thompson, an ultimate champion. And he's bringing the dog. And hopefully Mac will come along as well. The puppy. We invite you. Cody's going to be there. Michael Culliver. I'm leaving people out. I know I am. But go to the website, NashvilleElvisFestival.com. And uh, we're going to have fun in, in March back at the, uh, the the Liberty Hall at the factory at Franklin with the 8th Annual Nashville Elvis Festival. We just don't have enough going on, Jeff. Well, Tom, we do have a lot going on, and that's uh, a good problem to have. So we'll be coming up on our one-year anniversary. So when we get to Helen, we might do something fun and special to kind of do yeah. a year in review and have some fun. You know, it was, it was last year in Helen, this time in November, that we shot our teaser trailer yes. uh, with, with Cody and Alex as our producers and running camera. And we were romantically walking on the bandit bridge together. That's right. Um, sharing, sharing moments together as we were kicking off uh, a podcast. And I think it was that day act, actually that, uh, that Alex actually explained to me what a podcast was. <laughs> right. And I think the discussion, if you can hear it, the discussion we were having on the bridge was, how do I get out of this? <laughs> so that was the day I found out what it, what it was, but I've obviously continued on and it was, I can't believe it's been a year. It's amazing. And for the Smokey and Bandit fans, I did not take my hat off just so you know. Uh, and <laughs> then, so we'll, uh, have you something to listen to on your way to St. Simons, Georgia. Everyone have a wonderful Thanksgiving. So we'll either see you in Georgia or Nashville or the next festival you can come to. And uh, if we don't see you, have a wonderful Christmas as well. And we'll be talking to you soon with our Year in Review podcast. That's right. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving, Jeff. You turkey. (laughs) By the way, God is my witness. I thought turkeys could fly. (laughs) I'm Tupelo Tom. And I'm Big Lou. And and we're we're done done talking. talking. (laughs) Gobble, gobble. 
enjoyed this episode of Tupelo Tom and Big Lou Talkin', please visit us online at www.tupelotombiglutalkin.com and on Instagram and Twitter at Tupelo Tom Big Lou or drop us a line at tupelotombiglou at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible by executive producers Jeff Lewis and Tom Brown, producer and editor Alex Mitchell, technical advisor Michael Cullifer, promotions and marketing advisor Cody Dayanath, and also in part by our sponsors and listeners like you. Do you have an Elvis-related event that you'd like featured on Tupelo Tom and Big Lou Talkin'? Email us at tupelotombiglou at gmail.com to find out more. <laughs> gobble, gobble. Hey, you think they're still listening, Tom? Remember that place, Trey's out? Gobble, gobble, gobble. Remember? Gobble, gobble. Wipe that blanking smile off your blanking face. <laughs> I want. <laughs> How about those dolphins? All right. Oh, Jeff, you ever you ever ridden a bus before? No? <laughs> yeah, your mood's not going to get much better. <laughs> Alex is looking at us like, what the hell are y'all talking about? <laughs> he says you're going the wrong way. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how do you know where we're going? That's planes, trains, and automobiles. If you hadn't seen it, Alex, polka, you polka, there. polka. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's uh, Home Alone, isn't it? It would be so much more interesting if your stories had a point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, Jeff, Jeff, we should do. We should. Do, you got a puffy jacket? We should do Candy and Steve Martin. We should, and I have a bunch of shower rings to sell. There you go. Just and the very light. It's very light. <laughs> you, and you also need a, a Casio. Yeah, fine that's Casio. Right. Are you that shower room, shower ring fellow? Oh, yeah, I know him. <laughs> All right, guys, have a good one, man. Right. Great job. All right. I've All got right. an outfit now. Thank God. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> See you guys.